So 11 days ago on March 6th, it was a very important day on the church calendar um, that inaugurates a special time period for Christians every single year on our church calendar. And that Wednesday is called Ash Wednesday. And it begins a 40-day journey for Christians that is meant to be a time of spiritual preparation as we anticipate the coming Easter, which is the Resurrection Day. So during Lent, Christians focus on different spiritual practices that are meant to ready themselves for the Easter worship. Um, And readying yourself can involve plenty of different things, but the most popular thing that happens during Lent is fasting. The reason why many people spend time fasting is because the 40-day period in the Lenten season is meant to mirror or mimic Jesus' 40-day fasting in the wilderness. And that 40 days of fasting prepared him for his public ministry. In the same way, we try to mirror that by our 40-day fasting, preparing us for our worship during Easter. So some people give up food, like just traditional fasting, or things that get in the way of our preparation or the, of our hearts focusing on the Lord, whether it be media or TV, anything that distracts us. We remove these distractions in order to create more room to pursue God. So we abstain from food. We give up other things that we normally consume in high volume in order to hunger after him. And in this way, we ready our hearts for Easter. This is the point of Lent. But I think it can be really easy to lose sight of why we celebrate Lent at all. Like, it sounds simple enough to just say, oh, this is the point of Lent. But I think it's really easy to kind of get swayed or to kind of lose our our footing. Um, On Ash Wednesday, just 11 days ago, Jimmy Kimmel released a video in one of his skit segments called Lie Witness News. And if you're familiar with this show, it's it's one of his... uh, um, Segments where he has somebody stand on Hollywood Boulevard and just interview passersby, and they ask them kind of somewhat of a trick question to see if they're lie or not. And so I would like to have you guys look up on the screen to see what happened on Ash Wednesday. We made some Ash Wednesday mischief today. Went out in the rain, and we told people this afternoon that it was the last day of Lent. Asked them to share what they'd given up for the past 40 days. Of course, today's not the last day of Lent. It's the first day of Lent. But did that stop people from lying directly to Jesus' face? <laughs> well, let's find out in an Ash Wednesday edition of Lie Witness News. Over the past 40 days, everyone gave up something for Lent. What did you give up? Slushies. Like ices, yeah. Was it hard? Yeah, it's very hard. I love them. They're like an addiction for me. But today's the last day, so you get to drink them again. Yeah, I know. I'm so excited. Uh, 40 days ago... I decided to stop drinking soda. It worked and stuff, obviously, and uh, I don't know, it was was hard, and you just gotta keep pushing through it, and I did, and a few times I wanted to crack when I saw other people around me drinking soda, but I figured I'd go healthier, and I'd live a better life. So for the last 40 days, uh, I gave up donuts, which is probably one of the hardest things a human can do and had my first one again this morning, and life-changing. So you really didn't drink any slushies for 40 days? Yeah, it was tough for me. It was really tough. You swear to God? I swear to God. And uh, may lightning strike you down? Yeah, may lightning strike me down. (laughs) So next year, I'll pick something easier. Like lying? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
So there's one thing in this video that sticks out. So obviously what sticks out is the, the humor in that people are just blatantly lying. And who, I was wondering, what compels you to lie to an interviewer about that question? Maybe they want to get on TV. Probably they don't want to be on TV for this reason. Um, or they want to seem holy or whatever. But apart from that, um, what really sticks out to me in this video is how these are people who are caught off guard. They're given a split second to answer. They're lying. And yet, they're still able to answer the question with things that aren't totally strange. It's pretty reasonable, believable, and common. We've all heard people giving up. Maybe some of us in this room right now are giving up sugary drinks. I don't know if slushies is, is, is very common, but sugary drinks is common. Soda. Uh, the last girl who should give up lying, and she gave up donuts. I'm sure you or you've heard of a friend giving up donuts before. So giving up soda and donuts has become such a culturally popular thing that even people who are lying, split-second decision, respond with something that makes sense to the culture. So this year for me, I'm giving up social media. So no Instagram, no Twitter. So uh, just trying to stay off it. I don't have a Facebook already. Um, but for those of you who know me, you know that I don't really, I'm not very invested in social media anyway. So the other day, you know, or Lent began, I was like, oh, this is probably too easy for me. Um, so I thought I should add something else. And to be honest with you, I can laugh at these people too, but the first thing that came to mind, just like these people, was sugar. I thought, oh, I should give up ice cream, I should give up Oreos, I should give up like Kung Fu tea, I should give up something sugary, like the dessert, or I should give up sugar altogether. It was my first instinctual thought, was, oh, I should probably rid sugar from my life. And after entertaining that thought for a little while, I stopped to think, what would be the point of that? What would I accomplish by giving up sugar? I guess I would be healthier. Which is, I mean, we should just give up sugar, period, anyways. It doesn't have to be Lent. Let's like maybe create our own commitment to just give up sugar because it's terrible for you. But in terms of my Lenten commitment, my spiritual preparation, my 40 days of fasting in order to ready myself for the Easter celebration, how does remo the removal of sugar contribute at all? Is that really making more room for God's presence in my life these 40 days? So two weeks ago, Pastor Bill kicked us off in our Lent series on Palm Sunday, and he challenged us to either add something, a spiritual practice to your life, or remove a distraction in fasting in order to worshipfully prepare our hearts in making Jesus the center. And for today's sermon, I want to reemphasize this challenge, but then I want to equip us with the simplest way to actually measure whether you are doing Lent in, a, in the right way, in the way that is preparing your heart in these 40 days. It's the simplest method, and it's one word, and that word is why. Why are you giving up sugar? Why are you giving up coffee or your favorite foods? Why are you giving up Instagram, Facebook, Netflix, YouTube, video games? Why are you adding a spiritual practice in Easter, or in, in Lent before Easter? Why are you deciding to read the Gospels or go through a Lenten devotional? Why are you spending more time in solitude or silence? Why are you meeting regularly with a prayer partner? Why? Why are we doing all this? So that's the question that my goal in today's sermon is to answer, and for all of us to have the clearest, simplest answer that we can be, that we, all of us could easily say in unison. That's my goal for today's message. So we're going through this series, right? We call it Day by Day, and we're, each Sunday represents a specific day of the week in the original Holy Week. 
So today, I'm tasked with talking about something that happened in the original Holy Week on Tuesday. You'll notice up on the slide that it's labeled the Day of Argument. So this is referring to the many, many interactions that Jesus has on Tuesday of Holy Week uh, with the Pharisees and Sadducees, the teachers of the law. If you flip through, flip through all the gospel accounts um, from all four authors, you'll see that Jesus will interact with them very frequently. And in all these conversations, you find the teachers of the law trying to test him, trying to get him to slip up, trying to get incriminating evidence on him, trying to figure out a way of how they can get him to say the wrong thing in order that they can send him to jail and then hopefully to kill him. And it's on this day of argument that Jesus does not soft pedal with these guys. He pushes back. He shares, shares parables that are directly calling out their sinfulness. It's on this Tuesday that Jesus looks them in the face and calls them hypocrites, and he says they're a brood of vipers. It's on this day that the authority of Jesus is questioned and threatened and attacked. So does the day of argument. And our passage today is a special one among all the times that the religious leaders try to trip him up. They're scheming. They're trying to test him. And in our passage, what's unique of this passage that we're going to read that's different than all the others is that they have no argument at the end of it. They don't push back. They don't add another question on top. They don't leave angry. The gospel writers don't talk about them leaving, like really boiling in anger, trying to figure out a way to kill him. They are silent, and they actually agree. So let's look at Matthew's account of this conversation in the day of argument. That comes from Matthew 22, 34 through 40. Hearing that Jesus has silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, that's up on the screen right now, we have what is called the greatest commandment. You've certainly heard this many times before. And as I mentioned, maybe the contextual stuff you didn't know, that this is just another common scene of what Jesus has been experiencing all day long on Tuesday. A teacher of the law, and we're not talking about like a judge or a lawyer in the sense of like civil law. We're talking about the Torah, the the Levitical law, biblical law. He's an expert and he comes to, here we go again, test him with this question. Which is the most important commandment in the law? And so Jesus answers. He pulls directly from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Now the reason why he pieces these three things up is not for us to separate. So it's like, oh, what Jesus is saying is we love God emotionally with my heart and mentally, with, cognitively with my mind. He's not piecing this up. Basically what he's saying is that we are to love God with our entire being, with everything that we are, complete and whole. He's, spe- he's speaking to the wholeness of human, of mankind and saying love Jesus with every fiber that makes you who you are. One commentator puts it this way. He says, the three nouns together indicate the essential nature of man, his ultimate and fundamental loyalty. The three nouns together indicate the essential nature of man, his ultimate and fundamental loyalty. 
So the greatest commandment in all of Scripture, the greatest commandment that will ever be told to you in your Christian journey, in your entire life, from when you were first met, when you first met Christ till your dying day, is, the, is this passage. And what we get from it is this greatest commandment is to love God with your entire being. May the love of God our Father be your ultimate and fundamental loyalty for all of the days of your life. Love God with your entire being. May it be your ultimate and fundamental loyalty. But verses 39 through 40, which follow, may seem out of place because the expert of the law he comes and asks Jesus, Jesus the singular question. Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Not commandments, right? He doesn't add the S to the end. It's not plural. But as he always does, Jesus answers it perfectly, and he does it in a way that the person who's asking the question isn't expecting. So he says this, and a second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So what Jesus is doing, he's not avoiding the question or manipulating it. He's getting, receiving a question and answering it the way that he wants to. He's actually answering it perfectly and correctly. Because although he answers with these two things, it's still the right answer because these two commandments are completely inseparable. Because true love of God results in loving those who bear the image of God. If you really do love God with, all, with your entire being, with your heart, with your soul and mind, if God really is your ultimate and your fundamental loyalty, then you will love your neighbor as yourself. And we know from the rest of the scriptures that neighbor is not talking about, obviously, someone in close proximity to you. It's talking about everyone without boundary. It does not matter your age, your gender, your race, ethnicity, nationality, your socioeconomic status, your political camp, your cultural background, your interests, your hobbies, your professional field, your Myers-Briggs. It doesn't matter. There is no boundary to this greatest commandment that is completely inseparable, that as a follower and disciple of Jesus Christ, the most important thing that we do in this lifetime is to love God with our entire being and to love everyone as we love ourselves. And in verse 40, he writes, all the law and prophets hang on these two commandments, meaning obedience to all the commands of the Bible, which there's a lot, by the way, hundreds and hundreds of them, they depend and hinge on this one. You cannot properly obey the other commandments in the Bible without first starting here. And he's talking about Old Testament law. As New Testament people, there's even more commandments to follow. Just flip through the pages and think about all the ones that you have read before, verses you've memorized, or things that you've talked about in small groups or retreats. Anything someone's told you is something that is a part of the Christian life. That hinges on the greatest commandment. Love God and love your neighbors as yourselves. See, what I think that happens to so many of us on this faith journey is that we get so caught up in all the commandments and we very much get burdened, and the Christianity gets super complicated, doesn't it? How many books are there to read, sermons to listen to, Bible studies to attend, new things to learn, theology to learn, to get deeper in your your understanding of God's word, new practices to add, old practices that you used to be good at, but you've forgotten, you have to rekindle. And it feels like as long as you're a Christian and the longer you are a Christian, it's impossible to keep up. It's easy to start losing sight of what is central to our faith. And I think this is super common for us in Lent because I wonder if in the Lenten season 
we're more focused on the fasting than we are on Jesus. That happened to me. Lent starts, and I'm more focused on the activity than the Savior that I'm meant to be fellowshipping with. Charles Spurgeon, one of my spiritual heroes, he writes an excerpt in one of his books that made me think about this. He, reads, he writes this, and you can read on the screen with me. I saw in one of our exhibitions a portrait of a king, but the artist had surrounded his majesty with a bouquet of flowers so exquisitely painted that everyone's eye was taken away from the royal figure. All the resources of the painter's art had been lavished upon the accessories, and the result was that the portrait, which should have been all in all, had fallen, second, fallen into a secondary place. This was surely an error in portrait painting. So Spurgeon is looking at a portrait that's meant to display a king. And he notices that the best parts of the illustration are all the things on the periphery. The flowers, a bouquet so beautifully painted that it drew his eyes away from what was meant to be looked at and stared at. And I'll speak for myself, but I feel like it's so easy for me to do this with my walking with Jesus. It's really easy for me to do this during Lent. As I mentioned earlier with my own Lent commitment, why did it matter to me that social media was really easy to give up? When did Lent practices become a thing that was meant to be rigorous and like difficult? I don't know when I formulated that thought in my mind. But why does it have to be hard? Since when does it have to be rigorous training? Does it only count if it's hard? And why did I want to add sugar when that doesn't allow me to see Jesus more clearly at all? See, what I've done is I've Lent is a time for me to be painting this beautiful picture of Jesus. And what I started painting, and this is me, maybe you guys have your own thing. I started painting discipline, like withholding, removing things, taking away sugar when I really want it, being able to say no to the things that I desire at the time. And so basically, I'm drawing all these flowers in this bouquet of discipline, and it's starting to cover up the figure that's at the center of the portrait. A portrait is meant to help you see the king more clearly, not to draw your eye away from it. But in my case, discipline was the flowers that were too intricate, caught my eye too much. So let's refocus our attention on the king. And this matters to all of us. It doesn't matter which part of the spiritual journey you're on. Some of us in this room are not Christians yet. You're exploring, you're curious, you're still on the fence. You wonder whether this is for you or not. Maybe you're wondering whether you can accept all that comes with the package of being a follower of Jesus. Let me tell you that those of you who are on the fence, that loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself is absolutely essential to this faith that we preach. All else is secondary. Some of us in this room are new believers. You, you, you just recently crossed the line of faith. You've given your life to Jesus not too long ago. Maybe you're preparing to get baptized or you just joined your first small group and it feels overwhelming. What about all these things I need to learn? I barely know the Bible. I have more questions than I have answers. I have so many areas in my life I need to work on. Let me ask you that as you begin this journey of faith and remind you that loving God and your neighbors is central. It is the most important thing that you can focus on for the rest of your life. All else is secondary. Some of us in this room have been following Jesus for a long time. You've been a growing disciple for many years. 
And it always feels, although you should be so mature, you should be an expert now, that there's so many holes to plug, new theologies to learn, new practices to grasp. Let us be reminded, even years into our following Jesus, again and again and again, that loving God and our neighbors is central to this journey of discipleship that you have been traversing for many years. All else is secondary. All the law and prophets hang on this greatest commandment. And I hope that as your pastor, that I'm communicating this clearly to you. I hope that our leadership builds a structure of our church that makes sure, that ensures that this is first and central. I hope that our community builds a space where you can feel invited into a community of faith of believers where it's clear that love for God is our absolute central purpose and desire and goal. And if you've lost sight of this, I want to show us that this is everything that we do. Maybe you've been with us for many years or you've only been with us for a while. For those of you who are new, it's likely that you came here in September. You joined us with the new uh, academic year, which is also our ministry year. And so you've heard many, of, many sermons since then, and we're just going to walk through them all. The most recent one was called Love One Another. In romance, we seek to love God, to grow to be like him, and that results in our love for one another. Before that, we had a financial stewardship series that we called I Am a Steward, where we steward our finances to worship and love God, and the fruit of that is caring for the mission of God and restoring his children in love. Before that, we talked about how we engage the world around us in a series called Sojourners, because our love for God compels us to be a loving witness, be culture makers, be influencers and shapers in our communities to love the people in our communities. In Advent, we celebrated Jesus, We sit in awe of the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And we carry his message to the the world because it's good news and we carry it in love. In the same way, we had a series called Imagining the Kingdom, which was about missions and evangelism. It is similarly the starting point is our love for God that spurs us to go to the nations or go to across a cubicle in our, office, uh, in our office places to share our faith so that others can experience the love that we had and we can love them in sharing and evangelizing. We had a series in James we would call Faith in Real Life because we seek not to just be hearers of the word but doers of the word. And we know that scripture teaches us that we do God's word. In doing God's word, we show him our love. And our actions of love spill over into fruit for love for neighbors. And in September, if you joined us then, we started with radical hospitality and justice. Because if we love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and all our mind, we take his heart and mind and we make it our own. A heart that beats for justice. And so we go out into the world and fight for it in his name so that those who are oppressed can be loved by Bible-believing Christians who follow Jesus and experience the freedom that they deserve. You see, everything that we do, everything that we're trying to teach, everything that we want to talk about, it hinges on love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbors as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. So let's go back to the beginning. Why are we doing all this? Why do you show up on Sundays? Why does the worship ministry and welcoming ministry prepare early? 
Why do you serve in your campus ministries or your small groups and community groups and young adults? Why do you join the, the wives and, and husbands CG? Why do you care about Lent? Why are you fasting from something or adding something into spiritual practice into your life? I hope it's because we love Jesus and we want to love our neighbors as ourselves. I hope that as we ready our hearts, when Easter gets there and we're celebrating and singing and worshiping and and fellowshipping and dining together after our service, that all the while we've just been intently looking at Jesus Christ, our Savior, and just putting in all of our hearts to love him more. And that would spill over into how we love one another. That's why we do this. So let's apply this. Let's spend the rest of our time in these remaining, what is it, 29 days by applying the greatest commandment. Firstly, some of you aren't doing anything. You've decided, oh, it's not for me, or you know, I don't need to add something to practice. And you don't. This is not law. This is not like some sort of like must-do, otherwise you're not a good Christian kind of thing. But I want to encourage you to, set, to, to reconsider If you have not decided to add any Lenten practice or commitment, whether it be the adding that Pastor Bill told us about spiritual disciplines or the removal of distractions, either or, if you're not doing anything, I want to challenge you to reconsider and to do something. It doesn't matter that it's late. It doesn't matter that you're 11 days behind. Start something now. Start something today. For those of us who have already begun something, secondly, let's redeem the commitments that we've already made with the greatest commandment. Maybe you gave up Netflix or YouTube. That doesn't mean that now we just fill ourselves with the extra time that we have on our hands with something else that will entertain us. Hopefully the removal of the TV show or the clip and the time that you get from that will allow you to experience a relationship with Jesus fuller and more. How do we redeem that with the greatest commandment? Well, one simple idea, and there's 20, 30, 40 more, is if you watch a show and it's 24 minutes long, what if we were to pray for that 24 minutes in connecting your heart and listening to the Lord that you love and then interceding on behalf of someone else in that 24 minutes? That's certainly loving in my book. If a bunch of people close their web browsers and decide to pray for somebody else instead. Maybe you gave up social media this Lent. Instead of leaning on the apps to keep you connected with other people, maybe this is an opportunity for you, ready? To call somebody. So I'm going to write a book on this. It's revolutionary. What if you were to call somebody? What if you were to write a letter or a card to somebody? What if someone who's in the same city as us right now, you were to invite them to coffee and to have spiritual conversation with them and say, hey, you can even tell them why. I'm fasting from social media in Lent, and I want, can I buy you a cup of coffee and just ask what your prayer requests are? That sounds loving to me. That sounds like the greatest commandment to me in allowing our Lenten practices to make room for us to live out the greatest commandment. Maybe you're like the people on Hollywood Boulevard and you did give up sugar or your favorite food, your favorite restaurant, coffee, your favorite snacks. A couple years ago, I talked about how apparently people give up hot Cheetos. Whatever, whatever you gave up food-related, you can still redeem that too. Don't stop. Keep going. Again, if you give up sugar, do it anyway. Keep going past Lent. It's bad for you. Uh, but you can redeem that too. Let's say your order at Starbucks that you gave up is $3.50, and every morning you would go into the cafe and you would spend 350 
calculate 350 times 40 and donate it. Give it to a charity because you love God and because your love for the Lord compels you to love your neighbor. Add it to your financial stewardship and give it to the church. Add it to the pledge and the stewardship campaign that Ernie talked about last week. Here's an idea. People want to go to all church retreat and need financial assistance. Donate that so that someone can go to retreat. College students, we still have 14 days left on our charity water campaign. Donate your coffee money, your hot Cheeto money, your sugary beverage money so that other people around this world can have clean water. That sounds like the greatest commandment to me. And maybe you're in the camp that added a spiritual practice. Maybe you're doing Lent devotional or you're adding times of prayer already or silent retreats or prayer, whatever. How are these times being expressions of your love for the Lord and your love for one another? Read this text and use it as the measuring stick to see whether you're living in this way and you're living out the greatest commandment. Keep asking that question. Why? Why am I doing this? And thirdly and finally, a simple application point for all of us is to memorize these three verses. It's super, super simple. I know that scripture memory probably didn't become a thing for you after you left like vacation Bible school or youth retreats where like they would force you to not eat meals unless you memorize the verse. And you probably haven't done it before or since then. By the way, I'm going to go on a tangent. Crap. Uh, if you lead a youth retreat, don't starve children because they can't memorize Bible verses. Okay, I'm done. Tangent over. Memorize Matthew 22, 37 through 40. It's so simple. You just cut it in half. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Slice, index card number two. And a second is like it. Love your neighbors as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Let the word of God dwell in your hearts richly this Lenten season. Let this word be your meditation. Let it be before you and in you. Let it be a sweet fragrance that goes about you in your day. Let it be the first thing that you think of when you rise and the last thing you think of before we go to bed. Because this is not only something for your discipleship in these 40 days, but the entirety of our, of our lives as long as we're following Jesus. Let the greatest commandment dwell in your heart's richly cornerstone. So let's redeem Lent and let's go back to what really matters in focusing on the king. So when we ask why and when we redeem that answer and when we're looking to the first Easter and as we prepare in our postures in Lent, in my opinion, my humble opinion, this is the best way to prepare. And the reason why I think that is because in this way we are truly remembering and then we're emulating Jesus. So our series, day by day, is walking along with Jesus Christ our Lord as he journeys to the cross. And in this why question that I'm proposing, we can do the same thing and hold it up to him. Why, Jesus? What's the reason why you're doing this? Why are you journeying to the cross? Why not exercise your power and choose a different path? Why suffer? Why die? Why be tried unfairly and be arrested although you committed no crime? Why be tortured and the why be crucified? 
and hung on a tree with the worst of criminals. Why did you give up your life on Good Friday? Everything hinges on the greatest commandment. It's because he loved the Father, because he loved you and me. He loved his children, he loved his neighbors as himself perfectly. So if we're going to ready our hearts for Easter in this Lenten season, let's do it in that exact same way. Would you just bow your heads and pray with me? Lord Jesus, as we journey with you in this series, as we just walk day by day towards Good Friday and Easter, we're just reminded of how perfectly loving you really are. Your destiny was suffering and bearing the wrath of God and punishment. Your your destiny was injustice and wrongdoing and, and bearing all of that on yourself. Your destiny was physical torment, emotional suffering. And yet you steadily just continue to walk towards the cross in that last week of your life here on earth. Would we be reminded of the greatness of your love? Everything hinges on this word. And Father, I want to pray for us in this room now that you would just write it and etch it inside of our hearts, God. It's not just about Lent, it's not just now. It's our entire life and all of history. The purpose being to love you and to love our neighbors. Father, I pray that Cornerstone wouldn't fall into the trap, whether as a church or as individuals, that maturity in Christian life looks like lots of doing things. It means reading more books and having more uh, intellectual knowledge and debate ability. It looks like serving in 10 different ministries instead of two. That Christian maturity wouldn't look like never missing a retreat or being a small group leader and then leading another thing and another thing. Or having great knowledge. All these things are great and they're fruits and they're things that we long for. But let them always be secondary. Let none of these things ever be a part of the painting that blocks our view from the greatest thing being our love for you, Jesus. Would our devotion, again, as I prayed in the beginning, be reserved for you alone? And would you be greatly adored by your children who long to obey the greatest commandment that was ever spoken and given? So empower us this Lent season to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. Empower us this Lent season to love our neighbors as ourselves. And as we continue to ask why, I pray, Lord, that there would be a resounding uniform because of love in return, in response. So spur us on. We pray that you would continue to ready our hearts, Lord God, not for Easter, certainly and definitely, for each, for each day and for every Easter Sunday in between. 
And even now as we close, and now as we go about our weeks, and now as we hopefully apply this message to our lives starting today and into Monday and Tuesday and moving on forward in this coming week, we pray that the heavens would be filled with the sounds of worship, Lord God, that comes from our hearts. We love you, Jesus. I know that we get used to closing prayers like that. I realize that about myself. It's, we thank you, we love you in Jesus' name. We really want to mean that every time we say it. How greatly we, how greatly we thank you. How deeply we love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.